Hello, everyone, and welcome in to DC Talks Rocks. I've got one more player-specific episode for you before I dive deep into the CBA stuff. I think I'm ready to figure out how I want to contextualize that. Since I only have 20 minutes at a time, and the conversation on the CBA is, oh, I don't know, maybe a 10-hour-long conversation at minimum, I really need to make sure that, that the first show on that uh, sets the table properly so that we can keep moving forward and keep dissecting that as we go, right? And, and obviously, we have time to get into that in the off season. I did want to continue with these player reviews, though, because I'd like to do as many of these 20-minute podcasts dedicated to individual Rockies players as I can. And today, we're going back to the pitching side. I've been going back and forth between position player and pitcher. I think I'll probably keep that pattern going until I just decide I'm sick of it. <laughs> but for now, talking Kyle Freeland, a very, very interesting year and honestly career so far for Kyle Freeland. So I think this is a really great time to look back on what he's done and kind of project uh, what I think is likely for him in the future. Uh, again, I know most of you know most of this, but let's do a quick refresher. Uh, Kyle Freeland was taken in the first round. He was the eighth overall pick of the 2014 June amateur draft, uh, MLB players first year draft. However, there's a bunch of different names for it. You know it as the draft. There's just, there's several other drafts as well. But Kyle Freeland uh, taken then and you know, while he was definitely considered to be a first round talent, he was seen at the time as a little bit of a reach by the Rockies, but it made sense to everyone with him being from Denver, right? And so that was one of those things that just in many ways kind of fell into their laps. There were a lot of people who thought, hey, it's a reach and they're going to get bitten by this sort of sentimental pick and it's not going to work out for him. And, you know, it arguably looked that way his first couple of years in the minors. Now, he never had terrible numbers by any means. In fact, his advanced metrics, and we only have ERA minus from fan graphs. It gets a little bit confusing. I'll do a refresher podcast and article, by the way, so that we've all got this stuff down on ERA plus and ERA minus and how it impacts the Rockies. But ERA minus is just, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's the inverse of ERA plus. And so you want a number under 100 on your ERA minus, and that, that's good. And if you're over 100, that's bad. And, uh, you know, he had done pretty well throughout his career, 82, 62, those kinds of numbers. Very, very good in the minor leagues. But the raw ERA, you know, not something that ever looked great for him throughout the minors. Uh, he was had been working on a lot of pitches. It was something that, you know, people understood in the organization. But outside the organization, he was never really, you know, he, was never, he wasn't a top 100 prospect. I, I think maybe on one list that I went and found right after he had been drafted, he was maybe considered that. But then throughout his minor league career, Kyle Freeland was never considered a top 100 prospect or even especially close to. And he wasn't putting up those kinds of numbers. You know, he, he had ERAs and the fours and he was, you know, not striking out a ton of guys. And that's honestly even continued to be his M.O., straight through Major League Baseball, right? His career ERA is 420. Nice. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, at times, we'll, we'll talk about 2018, but the other years, 410, 673, the bad year, 433, and then 433 again this last year. So 
you know, the raw numbers don't look great. It's when you dig deeper into them, recognize the environment that he's been pitching in, that he's dealing with it better than other guys. And while he doesn't strike a ton of people out, he does still induce a whole lot of weak contact that allows him to get out of innings. He induces a ton of double plays. He doesn't allow too many rallies because guys aren't hitting the ball hard off of him. And this has always been really funny to me, too, because, you know, the analytics on the other side say the only important thing is hitting the ball hard. And you don't give credit for guys like J.P. Crawford or Rymal Tapia who just put the ball in play but don't do it with enough exit velocity, right? But then on the flip side, when you've got a pitcher who doesn't give up exit velocity, he doesn't get enough credit for missing more bats. I don't know. Is what it is. Uh, Other than that 2019 season that was really just an epic disaster for him in every way, coming off of a year in 2018 where he placed fourth in Cy Young voting and really should have been second, That's the only bad year of his career thus far. Every other season, his ERA plus, to get back to the stat, again, that we're we're a little more familiar with here on the show, where it's over 100 is better than league average. Here are Kyle Freeland's marks over his five seasons. 123, 166, 77, really bad, 120, and then this past year, a 110. That gives him a career ERA plus of 117. The all-time leader, by the way, in career ERA plus for the Colorado Rockies is Ubaldo Jimenez at 128. So 117, you know, you can look at a 420 raw ERA, and if you want to look at Kyle Freeland's record over the five years, it's interesting that he's 40 and 40, exactly 500 record, 140 games, lost 40 games. We know those stats aren't particularly useful in a lot of ways, but what we do know is that there are not a lot of guys in the history of the Colorado Rockies. In fact, uh, keep your eye out for the YouTube channel. Hopefully everyone subscribed to the YouTube channel totally for free. I got Rockies top 10s. Right now I've got the top 10 defenders of all time up, and your top 10 starting pitchers are on the way. And guess who's on the list? Because five years of an ERA plus of 117 or better is only matched by maybe one or two people in franchise history. and so. You know, especially seeing him bounce back after the terrible year, uh, get really right in the pandemic year in 2020, uh, including starting 13 games, which was as many as anybody in the National League that year, and pitching well above the league average, despite the fact that the raw ERA still doesn't look great. And if you, and this is going to, this will be one of those fights. If you talk to your friends who are baseball fans who don't follow the Rockies closely, and you try to tell him Kyle Friedland's actually been a very good pitcher throughout his career. And they look at a 420 ERA. Meh. You, that, you got to give him the ERA plus <laughs> rant at that point. That is the time for it. That's why these stats are so important. And, you know, you can't just say, hey, a guy's batting average at Coors Field doesn't really count. But raw ERA is all we need to know about your starting pitcher. Freeland has been honestly good to great throughout his career. He's now at 654 innings pitched and will be going into his age. Uh, he'll turn 29 in the middle of the season. So I guess it's kind of hard to say if it's his really more age 28, 29 season. He's still in the middle of his physical prime. He should be, uh, you know, at the point, honestly, in his career where he's ready to take even one more step forward. I think he's got another gear in there. We all know about his competitive 
attitude and everything that he did in that 2018 season. And he may never go 166 in ERA plus ever again. That's remarkable stuff. That's actually a better number than what Ubaldo Jimenez did in 2010. A 285 ERA, the fact that he was so much better at home than on the road, but he's maintained that ability to pitch really well at Coors Field like a lot of these guys have, and that's important too. You know, uh, John Gray and Jorge De La Rosa have the most dramatic splits for pitchers in in Rockies history in terms of being able to handle uh, Coors Field in particular. Kyle Freeland has been a little bit better at home. I'm sorry, on the road. He's actually been a little bit better on the road throughout his career, but it's been different uh, these last two years. But 396 out on the road, 444 at home, and those are very manageable numbers. So, you know, I I think he's one of the areas of the team you've got to feel best about along with the rotation, but not just for his ability to maintain. If Kyle Freeland maintains what he's been really in – all of the years, I guess if you take out the great year and you take out the terrible year and you just get the rest of what Kyle Freeland has been, that's a very good pitcher for your Colorado Rockies. Good guy to have on staff. Uh, nice to have him there. He's making about $7 million in arbitration. Uh, it looks like it's probably what it's going to be. Uh, then he'll still be in arbitration for 23. And if the Rockies don't extend him before that, he will become an unrestricted free agent in 24. Would not surprise me at all to see him and the Rockies work out an extension before then. Of course, we all know how fond they are of each other. You know, the hometown kid, he's always wanted to play for the Rockies. I don't think he's, you know, chomping at the bit to get out the door. I think the Rockies are obviously very happy with him, with what he's produced, with all of the extra sort of community things they get for keeping him around. And so I, I think this is the most likely scenario is that an extension will be worked out sometime in the near future. You know, I think it'd be fair to pay him even a little bit more than what they just gave Antonio Senzatella. It's a little bit tough, right, because the Rockies have sort of four or five starting pitchers who they should all be getting paid kind of about the same. <laughs> uh, maybe Marquez at the top of that, but Senzatella at the bottom, not that much less. Right. And he just got off with a nice little chunk of change as well. We've talked about the John Gray situation. And so, yeah, you know, for the Rockies to spend that much money in their rotation, but still it's spread out uh, over all the guys. None of them is making way too much. So I really think this is likely to work out for them and him. I'm sure that'll be a bit of a hometown discount, but honestly, he should get paid fair market value. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of hardball being played there right i think if the team comes with a fair offer kyle would like to stick around see this thing out maybe even be a career-long rocky we know that's a very rare thing to do these days but if ever there were going to be parties that that made it happen it would be these two right it'll be interesting to see that with charlie blackman also by the way but that's a whole other podcast that we'll get into at some point and so either way whether they sign him to a longer-term extension or not, they've got him for the next two years. So what do we think that can look like? Well, one thing that the analytic people would or could or should get very excited about 
for this year was an uptick in Freeland's strikeout rate. And this was really interesting because it's something that, as I was kind of talking about at the beginning of this show, I've never been convinced he has to have the big strikeout numbers in order to be successful, right? And it's a very similar argument to why, you know, I don't think that Raimel Tapia has to hit a bunch of home runs in order to be a productive hitter. It's a little bit different because ultimately, at the end of the day, the pitcher's job is just to not let runs cross the plate. That's your job. And obviously, it's an easier thing to do when the strikeout rates are a little higher. So that he had a career high in terms of strikeout rate with 789 per nine. Seven, so almost eight batters he's striking out per nine innings. And he's continued to develop, especially the off-speed and breaking ball stuff for swing and miss. You know, where a lot of times, like I said, he's, he's been hunting weak contact. He now has a couple of go-to pitches to really try to get that put-away stuff. Uh, because, again, if you watch Kyle closely, you'll see a lot of times he works in a ton of pitchers' counts. Even when he was struggling in 2019, he would do a lot of this. He'd throw a good, you know, first pitch, just would catch the edge. The guy was waiting him out a little bit, so he'd take it. And he'd throw one off the plate. The guy would take that. Maybe a decent cutter inside, foul ball, one-two count. And this is where he would have a tough time. He'd throw that change up low, throw the breaking ball at the back foot of the right-handed hitter or away from the left-handed hitter and just wasn't getting enough spin or movement or quite good enough location on those pitches to get swings and misses. He was getting weak contact, which is a, either a foul ball that keeps the bat alive. Sometimes that weak contact would fall for a cheap hit at Coors Field or just be right in between defenders anywhere and go for a hit. But a lot of times it would just keep the at-bat alive. And then what was happening in 19 was he was making a lot more mistakes, right? Once you see those extra pitches, now here comes another breaking ball. But this one, instead of being in the dirt, hangs right over the middle of the plate. And now it's going over the fence. And so he, in I think solving a lot of the issues, or, or addressing, I should say, a lot of the issues from 2019, developed an extra swing and miss element to his game that he's still not reliant on, but it's there, and it allows him to escape more situations and allows him to not get into those innings where two runs becomes three or four or five runs because you just can't put them away, right? They talk a lot of it's a put-away pitch. you got to put away the hitter after two strikes. you got to get that third out to get out of the inning. And that's what was just killing him in 2019. He wasn't pitching terribly all of the time. He just wasn't able to finish hitters and innings, and they would spiral away from him. And what we saw, what I saw specifically in his 120 innings pitch this year after coming back from the injury was a much, much better ability to do that. And there were still those times where, you know, he'd give up the two-run homer at just the worst possible time. The home runs are are still, I think, going to bite him here and there. When he makes mistakes, the stuff isn't elite, elite the way of Scherzer or DeGrom or, or any of these other guys, you know, the, the high-end pitchers are, so that when they 
float over the middle of the plate a little bit more, they're going to get punished. But uh, his command has really, really gotten back uh, to him. His pitch mix has been fantastic, and that's the biggest thing I think that has led to his success and will continue to do so. And it's the biggest reason why I've I've got a positive feeling about Kyle moving forward, not to, again, just maintain, but maybe even take another step forward and get himself back into those conversations about, is this guy one of the better pitchers in the National League? And it wasn't just that one year that he did it because he came back this last season as somebody who had worked and worked with a great deal of success in 2018, primarily pitching off of his fastball and cutter. And he dominated the wild card game with that combination and being able to pitch up and in and jam right-handed hitters, a certain kind of power pitching approach, despite the fact that he doesn't have power pitcher stuff, but it would, you know, the location of it just mattered so much and he was able to execute. When that came back to bite him in 2019, he basically reinvented himself as a pitcher who will throw any pitch in any count. He'll be a stuff guy, but then he'll power challenge you still. He found he, he was able to come back on right-handed hitters to go up and in on him with his fastball and cutter with much more efficiency now that they have no idea what count it might be coming in and that in an 0-0 count or even in a 3-0 count, you still might see the changeup or the slider or the curveball or the cutter that you're not just going to get challenged with a fastball. And so it, so much of it has become about his approach, his pitch selection, and, yeah, he's made each one of those pitches a little bit better. The changeup, the curveball, the slider. He basically throws, the, I say curveball and slider, he kind of throws a slider and a slurve. It's, one just has a little bit more downward movement, one has a little bit more horizontal movement. And he's always kind of experimented with those two pitches and trying to get separation from each other. So the guys are swinging at one and, you know, get the other one, and and that's leading to more swings and misses. So, I think it's hard to say the best is yet to come from Kyle Freeland because the 2018 was so good. But, you know, he's rocketing up all the Rockies' all-time pitcher charts, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. He wants it. There's no one more competitive in that clubhouse. There's no one who cares more about the Rockies and Rockies winning and Rockies culture than Kyle Freeland. And... Like I said, he's right in the middle of his physical prime, his physical prime, and he's there with all of the right tools and now knowledge and now experience, having been great, having been terrible, having been in between, having been a power guy, having been a finesse guy, and he knows that he can find success down any of these avenues. And all that's left is for somebody who's a really smart passionate guy to put all that stuff together and really take himself to that next level, which won't necessarily be, hey, go win a Cy Young Award someday. The next level is become the Rockies' greatest pitcher of all time by being well above average for over a decade. No one's even come close to doing that. You got, you know, Aaron Cook is the only guy on the list who's got a decade of above average performance that's it it's a list of one guy and and he hasn't and that was just above average kyle freeland has been much better by the advanced metrics so far so now what's left to do is another half decade of it and i'm here for it 
I think you are too. So thank you so much for hanging out, listening to this one. Let me know your thoughts on Kyle Friedland, what's going on with him these days, what you think the rest of his career is going to look like, what you think would be fair compensation for the Rockies to pay him over the next couple of years. And if you haven't been checking out the Patreon, if you're listening to this one for free on Podcast App, thank you so, so much. I appreciate that. Please subscribe there and to the YouTube as well. But do swing on by the Patreon and consider subscribing if you're interested in Star Wars talk or comic book movie talk or just science fiction and fantasy or professional wrestling or other sports talk. You want to hear my thoughts on the Avs and the Broncos and the Nuggets and video games, all kinds of fun stuff happening on the Patreon and a great positive community to be a part of as well. So come hang out with us. Appreciate you all for being absolutely awesome out there. You know I will continue to be absolutely Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.